Hi, everyone. Hope you all enjoyed the rainfall. <laughs> you can't complain about it. Someone told me today that we are not supposed to complain about rain. So um, I'm not complaining. Um, Madam Secretary, I mean, this meeting, we are going to bring this meeting to order. Uh, can we have the roll call, please? President Jami? Here. Vice President Maxwell? Commissioner Paulson is absent. He is expected shortly. Commissioner Rivera? Here. Commissioner Stacy? Here. And you have a quorum. Due to the ongoing COVID-19 health emergency and given the public health recommendations issued by the San Francisco Department of Public Health and the emergency orders of the governor and mayor concerning social distancing and lifting restrictions on teleconference, this meeting is being via held via teleconference and is being televised by SFGTV. For those of you watching the live stream, please be aware that there is a brief time lag between the live meeting and what is being viewed on SFGTV. On behalf of the Commission, I would like to extend our thanks to SFGTV staff and SFPUC IT staff for their assistance during this meeting. If you wish to make pu remote public comment on an item, dial 1-415-655-0001, meeting ID 2496-220-4756, pound pound. To raise your hand to speak, press star 3. Please note that you must limit your comments to the topic of the agenda item being discussed unless you are speaking under general public comment. And to remind you, if you do not stay on the topic, the chair can interrupt and ask you to limit your comment to the agenda item. We ask that public comment be made in a civil and respectful manner and that you refrain from the use of profanity. Please address your remarks to the commission as a whole, not to individual commissioners or staff. If you've not already done so, please silence your electronic devices. Excellent, thank you. Before calling the first item, I would like to announce that the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission acknowledges that it owns and are stewards of the unceded land located within the ethno-historic territory of Muakma Ohlone tribe and other familial descendant of the historic uh, federally recognized Mission San Jose Verona Band of Alameda County. The SFPUC also recognizes that every citizen residing within the greater Bay Area has and continues to benefit from the use and occupation of the Muakma Ohlone tribes, Aboriginal lands. Since before and after the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission's founding in 1932, it is vitally important that we not only recognize the history of the tribal land on which we reside, but also we acknowledge and honor the fact that the Mokma Ohlone people have established a working partnership with the SFPUC and are productive and flourishing members within the many greater San Francisco Bay Area communities today. With that, Madam Secretary, could you please read the first item? First item is item number three, approval of the minutes of February 14th, 2023. Colleagues, any edits, any comments that you would like to be considered? Uh, can we have a public comment, please? Oh, do we need public comment on this? Yes. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number three, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on the minutes? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers we should be recognized at this time. Thank you. Public comment on item number three is closed. Thank you. Um, colleagues, can I have a motion and a second on the side uh, for the minutes of February 14th? 
Move to approve. Second. Thank you. Madam Secretary, could you please take your roll call? President Ajami? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have four ayes. Thank you. Uh, item passes. Madam Secretary, could you please call the next item? Next item is item number four, report of the general manager. Thank you, uh, Madam Secretary. Uh, item 4A is a drought condition update from Steve Ritchie. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Steve Ritchie, Assistant General Manager for Water. Uh, if I can have the slides, please. I'm going to give uh, the drought conditions update, uh, and there is certainly uh, a lot of information to share. Um, you can see uh, this is our storage as of February 21st. Uh, and again, we were uh, riding pretty high already, uh, and we do expect to fill this year. Uh, you can see cherry is down a bit, but that's on full expectation. There will be a lot of runoff still to come to fill that up. Um, and again, around the state, uh, things are looking <clears throat> Excuse me. Things are looking pretty good in a lot of reservoirs, uh, particularly Oroville and Shasta. I keep pointing to, and Oroville is above average this time of year, and Shasta is 84% of average for this time of year. Uh, and Don Pedro actually is a little bit above average as well. So uh, again, things are looking better around the state. Uh, and the drought monitor, uh, this, uh, the areas of, of darker colors have been shrinking down. Uh, we'll see how far they go over time, uh, but that is... Uh, uh, certainly, uh, uh, this is from February 16th. Uh, I think that it's changed a little bit just from this last storm, and there are more storms ahead. Uh, the precipitation at Hetch Hetchy, uh, you can see here, it flattened out there for a while at about 38 inches. Um, I just looked at the results from yesterday, uh, and they just bumped up to 40 inches over the weekend, so another two inches of precipitation at Hetch Hetchy uh, for this time of year. Um, and this is the uh, precipitation as of February 20th upcountry. Um, February was looking to be a little low at 1.42 inches. Uh, yesterday's reading for the month was up to 4.95 inches. Uh, so again, a large increase from this storm. Similar story down in the Bay Area. Uh, it's gone from 1.75 inches, uh, double that to 3.5 inches uh, in the Bay Area with, again, that doesn't count for today, uh, for example, or, or even yesterday. So uh, again, there's been uh, a significant bump. Um, and maybe more importantly, uh, the uh, snowpack has bumped up as well. Uh, it bumped up an, an amount similar to the rainfall of where it was riding at 150% of, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, April 1st median it's now up to about 170% of April 1st meeting. Uh, again, we'll get to it in a little bit, but there, are, there appears to be more storms on the way. Um, the water available to the city actually isn't changing, and the reason is because it's cold, uh, and so there's not a lot of runoff that's coming off, uh, off the mountains at this point, so we're sitting at 517,000 acre feet of water that's available to the city already, but uh, as snow melt gets upon us, uh, that number will increase uh, dramatically. And on the national precipitation forecast, again, the bright colors are the ones that are of interest. Uh, this one shows that 
uh, the uh, period ending tomorrow uh, shows a lot of activity throughout the state. Uh, if anybody has been in touch with Southern California, they've uh, had an awful lot of precipitation there uh, as well. Uh, for next week, uh, it looks like more precipitation is on the way. And I just saw this morning's for the week after that. Uh, and it looks like actually it has more bright colors than either of these. So it, it, there, there could be more out there, but those are a little bit more speculative. Uh, so we shouldn't count on it, but certainly things are happening. Uh, and lastly, uh, from the data on total deliveries, again, we are well below 2015 uh, and 2013 and 2020. Um, I just looked at the most recent number and it bumped up a little bit, but just a little bit to about 152 million gallons per day, which is still well below uh, all of these uh, previous years. Uh, so that's that's what's happening in our system and with our customers who are doing a really good job on saving water. Um, now I'm gonna turn to a, a slide that probably has more words on it that, uh, that I would like, uh, but on February 13th, the governor issued a new executive order regarding drought, uh, which continued the state emergency drought declaration. As I've been commenting, there's a very real possibility the state will extend it, and they chose to uh, for various reasons. Um, a lot uh, has to do with groundwater conditions in California, uh, but also still concern about what might happen uh, through the rest of the year. Uh, and there are two provisions of that uh, declaration that are of interest to us. The first one, the one that's fairly long, and this is actually only part of that provision, uh, is to ensure that adequate supplies uh, are available from the Central Valley Project and the State Water Project. Uh, and then it gives a lot of things to take into account but as you've read comments in the press and other places, uh, the governor has suspended uh, various conditions and so really relied on the state water board to actually take action here uh, and take into account a lot of things, but really emphasizing uh, making sure that they have adequate supplies and adequate storage. The reason why that's of significance to us uh, is that they may relax conditions for uh, the outflow from the uh, reservoirs there uh, and that may, you know, show up someplace else in the form of curtailments that might apply to other people who have some additional water. So that's something we'll be keeping an eye on uh, as we go forward on that. Uh, the second is uh, he's asked state agencies to send recommendations uh, for what further actions might be necessary for ongoing emergency drought response and their review and their views on whether any existing provisions uh, might not be needed any longer and should be potentially stopped. So we'll be in contact with the state to discuss you know, the things that are actually in place now. For example, uh, we've asked our customers to move to a stage two level of our water shortage contingency plan. Given our water supply conditions, that doesn't seem necessarily appropriate. So we might some, give some comments to the effect that um, for agencies that can make particular findings about the status of their water supply, uh, that they are allowed to back down a little bit on their drought contingency plan. So we'll see how that plays out. But uh, again, uh, as I've commented before, and still it's showing up here, uh, the state is continuing the drought, uh, and it's something we all need to pay attention to. And I'd be happy to answer any questions. Excellent. Um, any questions for Mr. Ricci? No, we're just happy to see all this precipitation. That's good. And, Let's and hope it stays uh, put like, and ends up in our reservoirs. Like I said, there, there is clearly more in the forecast. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Mr. Ricci. 
Uh, can we have public comment on this item, please? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item 4A, the drought condition update, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present to provide comment on this item? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there is one caller in the queue. Hello, caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes to comment on item 4A. Thank you. This is Peter Dreckmeyer, Policy Director for the Tuolumne River Trust. Uh, I think it's time to change the name from Drought Conditions Update back to the Water Supply Conditions Update, and probably could have done that a month ago. Uh, there's, my guess is that not only will the system fill, but the SFPUC will probably have enough entitlements from the snow melt this year to fill all the reservoirs a second time. Obviously, you can't do that. So there's a lot of water up there. And uh, these reports are very human-centric. You might remember that in November 2021, then-Commissioner Harrington requested regular updates on the state of the environment in the Tuolumne with a special focus on salmon. Uh, we'd still love to see that. Uh, this is a, another very bad salmon season, and it actually looks like the commercial season could get canceled this year. So people will be out of work over at Fisherman's Wharf. And there's a lot more we all could do about it. Um, the, uh, I think you should also have a slide showing in-stream flows below Hetch Hetchy and in Lower Tuolumne. What you would see is the Lower Tuolumne is flowing at about 3,500 CFS right now. And all that's required is 300. So irrigation districts are definitely making sure there's plenty of capacity to capture the snow melt and make sure there's not flooding down in Modesto. Um, good information for you to have. I, I get the sense that the, the commissioners aren't fully up on these situations. And good news about 144 MGD demand. You know, that's not a lot. And a reminder that if, even if we did have an eight and a half year drought, um, we would have that 144 MGD in the last few years of the drought. So thank you. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you, public comment on item 4A is closed. Thank item, you. Item 4B is a quarterly audit and performance review uh, report from Irella Blackwood. All right, good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Irella Blackwood and I'm the SFPUC audit director. Thank you for having me here today. I present to you the second quarter quarterly audit and performance review report. May I please have the slides? Okay. Um, as of December 31st, 2022, seven audits or 24% of the year's planned portfolio have been completed. 12 of the planned audits were in progress at the end of the second quarter. 10 additional audits or 35% commenced at the end of the second quarter. Here are the details of the three audits that were completed in the second quarter. The Office of the Controller issued a network audit for information technology and operational technology um, on October 12, 2022. The California Independent System Operator released Scheduling Coordinator self-audit on October 17th of 2022. 
The controller's office also released the Pacific Gas and Electric franchise fee audit for 2019 and 2020 calendar years on November 16, 2022. Focusing in on the franchise fee audit here, this audit is roughly conducted every two years to ensure the payments from Pacific Gas and Electric Company to the city and county of San Francisco are correct. PG&E pays the city uh, of San Francisco franchise fee to use its infrastructure to transmit, distribute, and supply electricity and gas in accordance with the applicable provisions of the interconnection agreement between the city and county of San Francisco and PG&E as filed with the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission and Chapter 11 of the Administrative Code. The audit team tested revenue components of PG&E's $1.7 billion gross receipts that materially impacted the franchise fees payable to the city. The audit team concluded that PG&E properly paid its franchise fees and surcharge fees of $15 million, $585,120 for the calendar years of 2019 and 2020. In addition, the audit concluded that the SFEC properly administered and monitored the franchise. The Audit Bureau actively monitors open audit recommendations throughout the agency to ensure that they are addressed and implemented according to their respective deadlines. As of December 31st, we had four audit recommendations that remained open across two audits. For these same audits, the Audit Bureau would like to note that as of last month, January, these remaining recommendations shown here were deemed as fully implemented and completed by the Office of the Controller City Services Auditor. So moving forward from the second quarter, we anticipate that the completion of a total of eight audits during the quarter will be completed. Those audits include the audited financial statements for fiscal year 2021-22, the Energy Center San Francisco Franchise Fee Audit, the Wholesale Revenue Requirement, Statement of Changes in Balancing Accounts for Fiscal Year 2021 and 20. The Annual Comprehensive Financial Report for Fiscal Year 21-22. The Popular Financial Report for Fiscal Year 2021 through 2022. The Sewer System Improvement Program Contract 165 Program Management. Contract Audit. And the Crystal Springs Golf Partner Revenue Lease Audit and phase two of the SFPUC revenue bond program of the audit. We also anticipate the kickoff of a total of eight additional audits this quarter, namely the 2022 Greeny verification audits for Super Green and Super Green Saver, the post audit for calendar years 2022, the wholesale revenue requirement, statement of changes in balancing account for fiscal year 21-22, the Enterprise Risk Management Cybersecurity Assessment, the Mission Valley Rock Lease Audit, Phase 3, and the SFPUC Bond Program Audit, and the SFPUC Chapter 6 Delegated Authority Audit. Thank you for your time, and I'm available to answer any questions. Thank you. Thank you so much. Colleagues, any questions? I appreciate your comment on um, PG&E's um, 
connection to our their franchise. Uh, what was the right term? Sorry. Franchise fee audit. Franchise fee audit because. Um, obviously not related to this conversation we are having, but uh, we always have the other side of an, this issue, which is they keep raising their rates on how we are, you know, when we are, we are trying to use their assets or they're putting additional requirements on it. So I'm wondering how, so that franchise uh, uh, fees, how long are they like a annual um, process, or is this like a long-term contract? How does that work exactly? Well, it's a long-term uh, contract that was expired in 2015. Um, okay. We did present a new um, city contract that went forward. Our attorneys and their attorneys couldn't come to a complete agreement, but we did present it to the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, and it was accepted as filed. So there is an agreement there, and they send regular remittances to us. Um, and, and so that's the nature of our agreement with them. Thank you. I would love to kind of look, look a little bit deeper and see how um, these two can be compared and potentially if there is any leverage to be taken in this process to, to better ma handle the asset uh, usage or management. Okay. Thank you for your Thank question. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Yes. Thank you. What is the popular annual financial report? So this is a standard financial report that every city and county has to undergo. Um, it follows the standards issued by the government um, financial reporting standards. And we have our chief financial officer, Nancy Hom, available as well to discuss it further. So this is something that we, we do on a regular basis. Hi, Nancy Hom, chief financial officer, agent business services. So the popular annual financial report is a, I would like to call it a more simplified report for a non-financial reader. It is based off of our audited financial statements um, that were issued this January. So we will be issuing the popular annual financial report. It's more graphics intensive, has a little bit more detail about our, uh, our past fiscal year's activities for each enterprise. And so I'm looking forward to issuing that in about a week. So you'll get that along with the annual comprehensive financial report as well. So that it's more of a layman's Yes, kind of yes, and so we'll just high level revenues, expenditures uh, for each of the enterprises along with some basic metrics, you know, how many staff, you know, what are our debt service coverage, our credit ratings, et cetera. Great, thank you. Okay. I mean, it would be great, Ms. Holm, that if we, as you're putting that together, we can also think about some material that can be shared with the, um, with the public and yes. the rate payers because yes. It's a valuable knowledge for them to have they have what it takes to bring water or to Definitely. them to take the wastewater. And I, I'm always looking yes. for new ways to present information, especially on the popular annual financial report. And so right. I, I would welcome feedback in the future. Thank you. Okay. Any other comments? Ms. Brackwood, I have another request of you. Uh, you know, I have brought this up multiple times, and I want to keep mentioning it. If there are things that you think there are lesson learns that we have to pay attention to, or certain you know guardrails, guardrails that we have to put in place to make sure everything is functioning as it should, we are always open to hear them. So please, you. uh, in your uh, report back to us, consider those because um, obviously this we are all working together. We just want to make sure we have the we have a um, system that's running smoothly and in the right way and has the, all the right uh, set of parameters set up. Okay. Thank you so much for that space. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. 
Can we have public comment on this, please? Thank you. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item 4B, the quarterly audit and performance review report, please press star 3 to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present to provide comment on this item? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item 4B is closed. Item 4C is a quarterly budget status report uh, from Nancy Hom, Chief Financial Officer. Good afternoon, President and Commissioners. My name is Nancy Hom, Chief Financial Officer and AGM for Business Services. I'm here today on behalf of Laura Bush, our Budget Director, who was unable to make it. I may I have the slides, please? Thank you. Okay. Um, so for overall, uh, for our second quarter, for fiscal year 22-23, we're projecting a positive operating results for water, wastewater, power, and clean power SF. Uh, for both water, and wastewater, uh, revenues are projected to exceed budget due to higher than expected retail and wholesale sales. For power and clean power SF, we anticipate higher uh, power purchase and transmission and distribution costs, which were leading to significant uh, shortfalls in our expenditure budgets. Um, these are offset by planned general reserve contributions and increased wholesale revenues for Hetchy Power. Across all of our enterprises and units, uh, our year-end financial results are projected to meet or exceed our policy targets. Um, I'll go over these in the next couple slides. First, for water, um, as of Q2, they are projected to end the fiscal year with a net operating result of $161 million and a positive variance of $34.9 million. And that's a combination of a higher than anticipated revenues and lower than projected expenditures. So on the sources side, uh, we're projected to end with a $25.4 million positive variance. This is largely driven by better than expected wholesale and retail revenues as customers conserved less water than we had budgeted, or in this case, used more. Uh, uses are projected to end the year uh, lower by $9.6 million, and this is due to $2.9 million in our salaries and benefits as a result of vacancies uh, in the enterprise. In addition, spending is anticipated to be lower by 6.6 .6 million in our debt service uh, costs. That is driven by a realignment of our state revolving fund loan uh, repayments for the uh, West, Cycle, West Side Recycled Water Project due to an updated construction schedule. So what we're doing there is we're just kind of delaying the payments a little bit forward into the future and that's how we're observing those savings against our budget. Next is wastewater. They are projected to end the fiscal year with a net operating result of $121.2 million. That is $22.4 million to the good. Um, similar to wastewater, that is a combination of projected higher revenues and then lower expenses against our budget. Uh, sources, on the sources side, uh, revenue performed better than budget by about $6.2 million, again driven by better than expected demand uh, which in, in, in water, which in turn leads to an increase in wastewater revenues. Our uses, on the uses side, it's about $5.1 million in savings, again, from salaries and benefits due to uh, vacancies in the enterprise. 
In addition, we also anticipate about $11 million in debt service savings due to a postponed bond issuance uh, related to our market conditions. Um, instead, we will make a draw from our WIFIA loan, our low-cost interest, um, low low interest loan at about 1.45%, and this is for the biosolids program. And that is upcoming, probably about $122 million draw that we'll be doing there. Um, and also, again, another delayed repayment timeline related to another state revolving fund loan uh, due to project scheduling. For the uh, Hetch Hetchy Water and Power, um, the net operating results we anticipate there are $62.7 million, and that is a $39.9 million positive variance. Again, a combination between sources and uses. Sources are up by $38.9 million. Um, though you may see a negative $15 million uh, variance there for retail sales, I just want to remind that was due to, uh, that's not due to underperformance there, that is due to our budget being set too high in the prior year. You might have heard this multiple times over the past year. Um, it was just due to timing to our rate study at the time. And again, it does not affect our operations. However, due to higher power prices in the market, our wholesale power sales are up by $46.7 million, or 255% to kind of put some context to that. Um, at the current, power prices are very high, and the, and the power enterprise has benefited from this in their revenue sales on the market. Operating uses are projected at about $1 million less due to two factors, and that is the power enterprise spending $17 million more than anticipated on power and gas and steam costs due to increased prices on the market. That is offset by an $18 million contribution to the General Reserve that we anticipate to make um, due to not spending um, in specific areas. Later on in Q3, we anticipate to work with the controller's office to make a budget adjustment to increase expenditure authority for our power purchase and transmission costs. And so you'll see that update next quarter. Mm. Lastly here, uh, Clean Power SF. They are uh, projected to end a, a year uh, with a net operating result of 11.8 million, and that is a positive variance of 8.9 million to the budget. Again, as a result of higher anticipated revenues and lower expenditures. On the sources side, we anticipate a $7.1 million positive variance in utility revenues and interest incomes. And on, usage, on the usage side, we expect an overspend of 33.2 million related to power purchase costs due to again to the power market. And these higher costs were offset by uh, small savings of about 1.4 million in salaries and benefits, and then another $33.5 million contribution to the General Reserve for funds that we don't intend to spend. So again, very similar. This is a con con very conservative projection that we're making for Clean Power SF due to the way the, how volatile the market is. And we will continue working with the Power, Clean Power SF team and in finance and also um, to do a, a budget adjustment again in Q3. And then lastly, this slide shows our key financial ratios. Um, on the left side there are our metrics and targets of where we want to be. And from the middle of the, doc, uh, middle of the slide to the right side is the performance of each of our departments. And we're currently on target to meet all of our policies here. Um, the one exception you might see is for Clean Power SF. Um, again, previously mentioned, you know, we, they, are, they have an allowance timeline to meet their uh, day's cash on hand uh, by April 2025. And that their fund balance reserve policy would be 50%. With that, that concludes my presentation. I'm happy to answer any questions. Uh, Commissioner Stacy. Thank you. 
Um, I just have a question, maybe some explanation on slides five and six. Um, at the bottom of both of those slides, you have a general reserve plan to go unspent. Could you explain that a little bit? What does that mean? Sure. Uh, so a general reserve is basically money that you might put back to fund balance. So it's, it's funds that you may have in excess of your, in, within your revenues, not spending. So in, in government accounting, we don't have net income, right? So we, we take what the difference is, in, or we don't have equity. You take that and you put that into your fund balance. And so that is a contribution to our general reserve. So unspent funds. And is there a reason why they're unspent? Are they just projects that haven't moved forward yet? Or um, I think in, in, in this particular case for, for power, it is um, unspent funds as related to, to um, better than anticipated revenues from their, from, from their sales, sales of utilities. And so that we would take those additional funds and then put those to our fund balance. I see. Thank you. I, I hope that, that, was, that, that explained it. Thanks. Um, I have a question. Um, on what I noticed was um, we are anticipating only 13% 13, 13 increase on power purchase under Clean Power SF, which, if I recall, the you know the cost of power has uh, increased by four, four um, basically increased fourfold so I'm wondering and you can see that on the sales side when you're looking at the um, the power budget variance on slide five so I'm wondering how come the increase there is five four times more but then the cost of purchasing power is only 13 percent more sorry give me a moment yeah no worries take your time slide five look at the slide five mm -hmm. on um you know where you mentioned under sources for yes. 46 million um, wholesale mm -hmm. uh, increase, which which actually perfectly matches that four times more kind of a number we are talking about, and then which means that the value of our power has gone up. But then when you are looking at slide six under uses, it says there's 13 percent. Um, uh, increase in power purchase, which is impacting the budget. Am I reading that correctly or no? Yes, you are. Uh, um, I'm gonna turn it over to Erin so she can answer the question. Thank you. Hi, commissioners. Erin Corbinova, financial planning director. So there's two things going on with the power sales. Both the prices in the market are extremely mm -hmm. high, so we're able to sell but we did also generate more power than we were expecting. So that number is oh. buffered up by those two things. Whereas on the Clean Power SF side, the costs are over budget, primarily driven by prices. Um, our volumetric sales forecasts were pretty accurate to the budget. Right, and actually that's, that's exactly the point I was trying to make because we are anticipated to buy a lot, purchase a lot of power on the spot market, right? And the, Looking at the data, the smart, mar smart market price has gone up four times. Um, so I'm wondering why it's only 13% increase here. We have a lot of our um, power purchases on Clean Power SF are locked in. They're con contracted out. Okay. And so I think it's only a small percentage of our annual purchases are on the spot market. Okay. And we have like a hedging strategy that dictates what percentage of our total sales 
at a certain period in advance should be locked down at current prices versus what we left, leave open. Okay. Um, I think in our last meeting or the meeting before, we had an, had an item on our agenda that focused on the need to increase our uh, Clean Power SF's budget for power purchase mm -hmm. significantly. So where does that fall compared to the numbers we see here? Is that part of the spot market shop by, uh, purchases or is that part of our long-term strategy? I'm just trying to make sure I can see the difference between the two and the percentages that falls under each one of those. For the exact percentages, I'd want to turn to our Clean Power SF folks who I don't see any in the room today. Okay. Um, but I can say that the increases in our future budgets in our 10-year financial plan for Clean Power SF are being driven both by higher expected spot market purchases and contracts. You know, we're going out and negotiating contracts right now, and we're seeing big increases in what suppliers are willing to, uh, in the price that suppliers are giving us. So um, we're locking in more contracts, but they're more expensive than they used to be. Thank you. I think it would be great, um, Mr. Herrera, if we can uh, uh, have someone from Clean Power SF to provide us some additional information um, on the item we had. I, I believe that was on the spot market purchase, if I'm not mistaken, but I just, I would like to know the sort of the ratio between long-term contract versus spot and, market. And if, uh, Commissioner, if I, if I'm, and I may be wrong on this, my recollection is that that was authority to spend up to a certain yes. amount, right? Yeah, okay. it was, yeah. it was, okay. absolutely. It was an actual purchase, right, right, right. Yes. Just, Okay, yes, but yes, we will certainly get you that presentation. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, Ms. Holm. Um, can we have, oh, any other comments, colleagues? Okay, can we have public comment, please? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of public comment on item 4C, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on this item? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers wishing to be recognized at this time. Thank you, public comment on item 4C is closed. Item 4D is a Public Utilities Commission hiring process overview uh, presented by Wendy Macy, Chief People Officer. Good afternoon, um, Madam President, Commissioners. I'm Wendy Macy, Chief People Officer. May I please have the slides? Um, last month, we came forward with an overview where we talked about our collaboration with the Department of Human Resources. This presentation is going to be a little bit different because it's going to focus on what we at the PUC control as part of the hiring process. Um, we're also going to provide you with some baseline data um, that uh, really will tell a very compelling story. And it will show some dashboards that we've created again to, as we've uh, continually improved our data analytics during the pandemic. Um, we're going to spotlight what our North Star is, which is really what our aspirational goal is in terms of hiring. And um, we are committed to doing the best we can to reach that goal. So first, I will go to the 800-pound gorilla, which is the number of vacancies. Um, and as you can see, the number of vacancies is quite high. Um, historically, it had always hovered well above 400 vacancies, but at this point, uh, you know, we have a very, very high vacancy rate. Some, some of the enterprises have over a 25% uh, vacancy rate. Water has the highest number of total vacancies. Of course, they are the largest group. 
um, whereas power has the highest vacancy rate. Um, just to be clear, not all of these vacancies are funded, but again, we, wanted, we thought it was very important in the interest of transparency to provide you with exactly where we are at this very moment. So um, in, in light of this challenging amount of demand, uh, all of us, it's because hiring is not just done by HR, but it is done by all of our enterprises and bureaus in collaboration. We work very, very closely with our hiring managers and our department personnel liaisons. And you can see a lot of work has been going on. Um, in this current fiscal year, which is since July 1st, we have hired 191 new staff. Hmm. Um, we have also uh, moved 190 staff internally. So this could be a, a transfers, promotions. Um, so there's been many, many, many recruitments that have gone on. Um, if a recruitment happens to yield a promotion, that's wonderful news for the candidate. But it also means that we have to work then again to do another recruitment to fill the, uh, the person who, who just uh, occupied that spot before. Um, so the bad news is that at that same time, uh, 162 staff left. Um, so this shows that not only do we need to focus on our hiring priorities, but we really need to focus our agency's retention uh, on retention um, because we're, we're losing quite a number of people. This next slide shows what happened during the pandemic. So the orange on the slide is, is not optimal. The blue actually shows some progress. And what that shows is in the last couple of fiscal years since the beginning of the pandemic, our exits have outpaced our hirings. So even though we you know, almost doubled our number of hires in 21-22 to, in to, to 313 people, we actually lost more people than we actually hired. Um, and so far this fiscal year, we've managed to keep, to keep pace and we've hired more people than have left but we need to obviously continue that trend to make a, a, any kind of a measurable impact on the vacancy rates. Um, so again, understanding that attrition or turnover or whatever you want to call it is, is a major factor that's contributing to the vacancy rates that you hear so much about. We look to see where our turnover is the greatest, and we see that in some of our smaller bureaus, which are uh, my colleagues at External Affairs and ourselves at HRS, we actually have the highest turnover rate. Um, and because we're so small, um, you know, we're, we have critical functions that really uh, can't do without staff. So that is an area uh, of improvement that we need to focus on. So with all that set, again, having a, 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 an understanding of where we lie, where do we need to be? Um, and this is where we've kind of come up with a vision in terms of our North Star. This is our ideal optimal state of where we'd like HRS to be, where we would like to be as a high-performing organization, with one which is built upon data, one which has the highest technology, one which has all the resources that we need to ideally be able to um, attract and retain the best employees at the SFPUC, which again, in my opinion, is the best agency and department in the city of San Francisco to work at. Um, we just need to be able to tell our story better. So in the next several slides, we'll go over some of these uh, lofty goals that we have, which again, focus on what we at the PUC control. We control how we interact amongst ourselves. Uh, with, our, with our customers, our clients, our enterprises, our bureaus. We control how we can um, outreach and advertise to our candidates. 
we control how we uh, can do even more to develop our pipelines, and we control how we can analyze our data so that we can make smart decisions about our prioritization. So we're not gonna throw our hands up in the air. We are, that is not the SFPUC spirit. Um, we have done also a deep dive in terms of research. We can go on to the next slide. Um, I've personally spoken to a number of different hiring managers. I want to um, compliment my colleagues. Uh, many of them have reached out to me with suggestions on the hiring process. Um, I reached out to our labor partners and have had some very, very robust conversations with them with recommendations on the hiring process. And I've also reached out to the HR directors at uh, many of our sister agencies and departments to see what best practices they might have that we can uh, utilize at our agency. So we know that we do amazing world-class work. We love our commission, our leadership team. We have thousands of committed, hardworking, creative, resilient colleagues. And what we need to do is, again, make sure that some of the uh, bureaucratic hurdles that we control are eliminated and that we tell the best story we can so that we get, can, again, attract the best candidates. Next slide, please. Okay, so this uh, slide that looks like the ball of yarn or the Jackson Pollock or whatever you have it, this, this is not a fake. This is an actual real diagram that our staff put together um, when they were diagramming the hiring process. So, uh, uh, and it, it looks as horrifying as it, as, as it looks. Um, and all of those things, the back and forth with the many touch points are things that we can strive to improve. Um, one of the things I know that is a lot of pain points is we, we, we're, we're blessed because we have de department personnel liaisons. Many departments do not have them. These are people who are uh, embedded in the different um, divisions who assist us in the hiring process. But we need to do a better job of training them and making sure that they have all the tools that they need. We need to make sure that we don't burden them with seven forms when one would do. Um, because each one of those uh, touch points is an opportunity for error and it's an opportunity for delay. So that's why, again, uh, we have embarked upon this lean process improvement um, uh, initiative where the staff, literally at, from the analyst level, uh, many of our staff, I think maybe half of our staff have only been with the PUC less than two years. They're very, very fresh in the field, but that's great. Even though they, they, you know, we're still training them, they have great, wonderful, fresh ideas, and they're not stuck with, this is the way we always used to do things. And so we are getting some wonderful suggestions from them with some practical suggestions. Again, we reached out to the hiring managers. They said, well, this is very cumbersome. This doesn't seem like this is a value add. And we're slowly working through them. Every one of those few days here, a few days there, um, helps us in our hiring process. And, and more importantly, it, it helps us um, reduce the potential barriers that might impede our, our important work in racial equity and opening doors and having broader opportunities for people. Uh, the next slide, please. Hmm. So here's sort of a pet peeve of mine, which is our engagement with our candidates. Um, I will tell you, one of my staff has said to me that they, they monitor our job, uh, discussions on job boards, and when they're talking about jobs at the SFPUC, you know, they're, which they're excited about, 
they say things like, what's a cat 18? Um, so when our ads say cat 18, cat 16, TEX, PEX, PCS, 1841, it, it's, it, 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 the jargon is off-putting to our candidates. And so one of the things that we're really striving to do is to have our outreach, and we've been discussing this with our communications team and external affairs, be more visually appealing, be more representative. Um, Nancy Hom very diligently posts all of, all of the jobs in finance. They all have the same photograph, which is someone putting on solar panels, even though it has nothing to do with maybe what the financial person wants to do. So we've been working with comms and um, trying to come up with some ways that we can, again, make our uh, career opportunities less jargony and more appealing to our candidates. So these are the types of images that we have available to us, which we have not utilized in the pa past. And it also shows us, really, again, what a rich um, uh, network we have of many diverse um, employees doing many diverse tasks within the PUC. Um, we're also, as I mentioned in my last presentation, 100% committed to increasing our pipelines. Um, we really are pushing our, with our classifications, looking at uh, minimum qualifications and which ones might be uh, uh, unduly restricting our candidate pool. We're looking at um, ways to reach candidate groups who might have been underserved in the past. Um, we're also going to, we're also collaborating with our, our colleagues in infrastructure and um, external affairs to look at some of the pipelines which have been used successfully with our uh, contracting partners and seeing whether those might be applied within our city rules to be able to provide uh, opportunities for city jobs because a lot of that uh, networking and relationships with community-based organizations is already done elsewhere within our agency. And so with this collaborative model, um, we hope that this adds to our uh, uh, availability of candidates. So the, the final piece of the puzzle is uh, a true pandemic project was our, our ability to actually slice and dice the data, which had not been able to be done before. You're going to see some things which have never been, been seen, and they actually haven't been seen by our executive team. They're a little bit, we'll, we're, we'll get to them in a couple of weeks. But um, we use these, these um, data analytics to, to really drill down into our work, into our work in hiring priorities, so that the entire agency can see where, where our priorities are where uh, recruitments are in the process, how we are doing in terms of our vacancies, what the status is, and so forth. So moving on to, uh, these are static, but the, these dashboards kind of tell where we are. So this, for example, tells us, you know, how many recruitments have we done so far, how many of them are civil service, how much of our stuff is non-civil service, and so forth. So we can always track our, uh, our work at any given time. Um, this, I know it's, um, I apologize, it's very hard to read, but this is an example of, a, uh, of, a, of one of our actual dashboards. So here we can look at job classification. So this one, we've actually uh, sorted it by looking at the classifications which have the largest number of vacancies and the highest percentage of vacancies. Um, because obviously if we can concentrate on those few recruitments, we can make some, a big dent in our vacancy um, uh, challenges, 
but we also have other ways that we can slice and dice them. We can, you know, we talk to the AGMs and determine something is more uh, of an emergency, safety sensitive, or particularly time uh, dependent, and we can, we can move it up in the priority chart. Um, but again, this, this shows us by job classification, and, um, and we can uh, sort it any number of ways. The next dashboard provides even more insight where we can see by enterprise which recruitments are going to be addressed first. So the yellow is the high priority, and so you can see where the, how many of the recruitments are in the highest priority. Um, again, if any AGM wants us to alter this priority, we can, we can sort it as, as, they, as they like. Uh, in the bottom right, we're able to drill down to see where actually every recruitment process is. So for stationary engineer sewage plant, um, we can see that there is a current eligibility list, so we can work with uh, 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 wastewater to see, you know, to, to move forward on, on interviews. But if we look at senior power um, generation tech, uh, there's no list, and we see that we need to assign that to be uh, recruited. So again, these dashboards are very radically different from anything that has ever really been shared um, within the PUC. It's only been developed uh, very recently. It's still under development. But it again provides us with the insights that we need to be able to tackle this Herculean challenge. Uh, the next slide um, shows uh, and I did, did want to, I mean, I you know, tried not to mention DHR very much, but I will say they have been very collaborative with respect to a, a new series of dashboards that they're developing in smart recruiters. And this, these dashboards are going to be particularly insightful. They're still in development now, but on the racial equity and the diversity hiring, because what they will allow us to do is they will allow us to analyze uh, recruitment by recruitment um, our candidate pools and understand what which of our outreach methods we talked about being more creative using different advertising using different outreaches and different pipelines understanding then which of those candidates have gone through the process and uh, where we're getting the the greatest number of candidates and greatest number of offers and the greatest number of people actually joining the agency um, and so again, I just want to give kudos out to David Hubner and his team because they do work very collabor collaboratively with us. Um, and I also want to thank um, my colleagues here because they, they, they understand, I mean, now that they've seen this data that, uh, you know, we hire 10 people and nine leave and it looks like we only did one and, and, and everyone's saying, why are you so slow? But we, we received lots of messages of encouragement from many people and again, some very, very constructive feedback from people who've been at the agency for a long time who understand um, our challenges. So um, apologize for going long. And um, at this point, Melissa White, our deputy people officer, and I are happy to take any questions you might have. Thank you so much. Uh, Commissioner Paulson. So thank you for that. Um, yet another presentation uh, today that actually gets into the nuts and bolts. And, and I think we're, I'd like to say that I'm very proud as a commissioner that you've come on board um, to work and your team has really been, you know, putting together some, you know, you call them the dashboards, but you know, the data that we're seeing right now is exactly what one would expect um, to see when questions are asked. You know, why are we hiring and who are we hiring and you know, what are the networks and what have you. This this is the entire web. Um, I have you know worked both in the public and the private sector, and 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 quite often in many cities, um, most of them not as large as. 
San Francisco and just, you know, whether or not it's DHS or whether or not it's, you know, the particular, this big department, the enterprise department um, to have, um, you know, their own obviously hiring department is, is, um, is, is pretty important and it's also, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that I just, this is exactly what we're supposed to have. The history of, as you know and most of us know, the history of governance you know, has been that, you know, once you have a government and once you have taxes, then people expect you to do stuff, to fix roads and to have buses and to, you know, put water in people's houses, et cetera. Um, in the old days, it used to be, well, I, you know, my mother taught Sunday school and my dad's a plumber. So, I mean, you know, that's how government got filled until, you know, it turned into the cesspool that a lot of places were. And the transparency, the tests, the, the incredible amount of, um, of diligence that has to go into making sure that people are hired and retained in a right way is probably one of the most difficult arts in government that there is. And just to see that this department is taking this much effort to um, show this is, um, at least to this commissioner, um, pretty um, impressive. And so I, I guess that's a long way of me saying, you know, thank you for these. And um, I'm going to tell you as a commissioner, I'm not going to sit and nitpick these pieces because, you know, that's not my job unless there's something egregious, but this is this is exactly the type of thing that answers the questions that the public or any professional would know. Why are we hiring? Why are we losing? Why are we retaining? Why is it so hard in <clears throat> the public sector to keep people as opposed to the private sector? Everything is in the matrix that you've thrown in here as far as I can see, and so th I'm just going to say thank you for putting that together, and I hope that, you know, not every week meeting, but at least, you know, once a year we get this or this is at least without spending time at the microphone something that we get to take a look at because this is important and as commissioners it's like you know how come we don't have enough plumbers or you know why are there so many vacancies when I see them that we have these answers and they're all right here so anyway thanks a lot thank you so much um, <clears throat> Commissioner Riviere hello great presentation and um, I just want to reiterate what uh, Commissioner Paulson said um, thank you for um, kind of showing us and the public the challenges that are we're currently facing uh, trying to bring on new hires and fill these um, uh, positions. I did have a specific question. Uh, on one of the um, slides, uh, it showed that for fiscal year 22-23, we had 162 staff that left the PUC. How many of those were retirees? Do you know? I don't know, but I can get you that information. Yeah, I'm just trying to ascertain if we're trending towards um, people leaving for other jobs or if this is just a you know, natural um, uh, path for our, our workers just kind of dropping off. Um, yeah, I'd like to know that just to uh, kind of see where we're going with that. I, I do know from looking at another data set that um, the two groups that um, have had the most turnover have either been people who've been with the agency for 15 years or more, which may well be people moving to retirement, but it also is people who've been for a very short period of time. Okay. So um, it's both of those two groups. All right. Thank you. Excellent. I uh, actually have a few questions. Thank you for your presentation. <coughs> um, do you want to, okay. Um, so I wonder, and I'm sure the answer to some of these are yeses, so then you can elaborate on what what trends we see. For example, I'm assuming we do exit interviews when people leave, right? Um, so it would be great to kind of know what people, why they're leaving. They're retiring, 
they found a better job, it's pay issues, it's uh, culture issues. It's just, it's good for us to know what, what is coming out of those sort of conversations. Are, I'm assuming we are doing exit interviews? Yes, our uh, People Science and Strategy Group does exit interviews um, routinely. Of course, it's optional for the employee to, um, uh, to fill it out, but um, we, do, we do collect the data, and we do have, uh, you know, again, very detailed data by month by month by the numbers. And so, again, we have, uh, we have the results of those surveys as well as the comments, but, again, it is dependent upon the uh, employee voluntarily choosing to fill it out. So... Um just, I know it's not a comparable case, but for example, when I worked at Stanford, uh, when you would, you would have like decided to leave, you took another job, you retired, someone from HR would always like sit with you and walk you through the exit interview. Um, that way you're sort of disconnected from your direct uh, manager, uh, that way you felt more comfortable to share why you're leaving, Obviously, even that is in a way optional, but it, it's probably more, people feel more comfortable sometimes to have these conversations rather than filling out the survey, which is very cold way of sort of getting information out of people. Just a suggestion. I'm wondering if you know what percentage of people fill out those exit surveys. Do you know the percentage? It's, it's reasonably low, but I, I think uh, sort of capturing kind of the spirit of what you're saying, we also do surveys while people are still here. And so we do have some surveys coming up. We have our pulse surveys, and those are also very important to um, uh, get a sense of the culture um, at the agency. And those are anonymized so that people uh, don't feel uh, uh, like they are going to be um, singled out because of their responses. And so that's also very important data, not just obviously the ones who've already left us. It may be too late. Sometimes we get them back, though, because <laughs> we do have people that go to other departments and then they come back. Um, but also, it's very important to continue our engagement with our employees uh, who are still here. Absolutely. But I would like for you to kind of look into potentially having uh, doing something that you would have higher numbers for exit um, uh, survey or interview responses, because that would be very useful to us to know why things are happening, right? That's a very important data point. The second thing is, I think Commissioner Rivera asked that question. Um, maybe this is a different way of asking that question. I wrote down what career stage people are leaving. So, um, so that's, you know, it would be great to have that data, like to be able to look. Um, when people retire, I'm hoping that there is somebody have been trained behind them. So there's this whole concept of, um, you know, uh, uh, sort of replacement training or kind, some kind of like a, a way of making sure that people, we can uh, grow from within, right? People feel encouraged because they can go up the ladders if they, you know, they do a good job. So it would be useful to kind of understand which career stage people are in, who goes in, who comes out. And then um, obviously it's fantastic to have young people uh, in the agency, but you also want to make sure you have someone in the middle who can connect these two, um, two C's. Um, another question I have for you is how many people, do we know on average how many people apply for these positions? And then do we keep the name of some of these people who are look pretty good, they don't make it through the recruitment process, um, or they 
probably did not do a very good job in filling out this form or that, but they, their resume looks quite impressive. And do we actually go back to that pool to see if we can bring some of those people on board? So I know that we sometimes use lists that other departments have used. Um, I believe a lot of the, the materials that we get is um, de-identified, so I don't know that we, we necessarily can extract them. Melissa, please help me if you want to respond. Yeah, I can, I can Go ahead. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Melissa White, DPO, Helm Acquisition. And so I think we have not done that previously in the past, but the, the new uh, applicant tracking system, smart recruiters, I think there's more capabilities to be able to um, keep track of people who have applied, previously applied and to understand where their interests are. So then we can, I think they're called communities is what they're called. And so um, people who express interest in a specific community, um, we can take a look at those. Um, that hasn't been completely rolled out yet, and I think there's something that, that we're still going to be um, learning more about in the future, but uh, hopefully that will be a capability in the future. Thank you so much. Um, that's it for me for now. I really do appreciate this. I think the, the better data and information we have, the more questions always uh, rise up, which is which is a valuable part of the process. It shows that we are learning and we are uh, having positive discussions. Um, Commissioner Rivera, you are done, right? You, yes. Um, Commissioner Maxwell, please. Thank you very, very much. Um, I, I think some of this information, the seamless communications, the mapping, um, I couldn't read it very well, but um, hiring process map, mm -hmm. I thought that was really very good because, oh, thank you. Um, I thought that was really excellent because it really showed, um, you know, the process that you go through. And it, I think there was one hiring strategy um, maps, mapping, is that what that says? So could you explain that a little bit more? Because that, um, the strategy and your mapping was, I, I really was intrigued by that. Could you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, yes, and um, this is a uh, methodology that's that's used for process improvement uh, everywhere. Mm -hmm. But but it's it's particularly applicable to the hiring process mm -hmm. because so many different people touch it, and every time someone different touches it, or you go back and forth, is again there's an opportunity for uh, an error or a stop sign, or a redundancy or something that's not adding value. And it's just causing frustration to the candidate and the um, and the hiring manager. So, excuse me, one second. So, could that be where the, what you were talking about the last time, where blocks are? Yes. Where you see? Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, so very, very much so. Except this time, I actually gave you a real picture of the ball of yarn, which is what it really actually looked like in the past. Mm -hmm. um, and now, again, with our wonderful DPLs. We just want it to be, you go from A uh, to DPLs. B. To, oh, I'm sorry, Department Personnel Liaisons. These are our wonderful oh. staff who work for water, power, et cetera, who are the liaisons with HR. Um, and we could not do our work without, without them because they are the ones who consolidate a lot of the work within them and set, help set priorities and help us um, provide the, the key information that we need. And so um, I think what you're getting at is all of that complexity that we control, we make it simple and easy to understand, 
and then people won't have so many errors and they won't take so much time. And so that's what we're really, really trying to do is simplify. Sometimes a lot of these things are residual things that might have had a purpose many, many years ago, as we talked about, where thousands and thousands of people are banging down your door and you really need to differentiate amongst them. But now as we've learned more about people's learning styles, people's testing styles, um, the whole way we do hiring is, is, is really changing. And so we need to keep pace with that modernization and again, make things simple and seamless. And so that's sort of our motto going forward. Right. Um, and I guess this, this was, I mean, I, I had at home, I had my, um, my, my focus, you know, my um, things that make things larger. You know, no, I, I really see it really well. But this is extremely good. You know, I thought this was really excellent and important. So I would like to see a bigger version of it because um, you can really appreciate the work that's gone in. I mean, you've done a lot of the work that you talked about. It's right here. So um, again, thanks, thank you. And, and I'd just like to see a bigger version and also where we are in those processes, you know, like, uh, and an example of taking somebody through something, but where we are. Um, but this was well done and I, I really appreciate the work that your staff has done. Um, because I think some of this probably happened before you got there. That's what you said last time. So thank your staff and those people who really did the, the good work. Um, and I'm glad that you're continuing. It's a good process. Thank you. Commissioner Stacy. Thank you. I, I also really appreciated all the information that's in this presentation and the care and concern that you're applying to a very complicated um, set of circumstances. <clears throat> this may be a little um, not quite on topic today, but I've been recruiting. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that the tech layoffs and the slowdown in the construction industry could be a really great opportunity for the SFPUC in particular and, you know, city government in general. I agree with you that the SFPUC is a great place to work. So. I've been buttonholing people and telling them, oh, just go look at the PUC website. You'll see all the fabulous opportunities. And so this weekend after I was recruiting somebody from a construction company, <laughs> I decided to go look at the PUC website because I was promising a lot. And for somebody that is not well-versed in government, the information does not feel very accessible. And a couple of people have said, you know, is there somebody I can call at the PUC? And I said, well, just go look at the website and, you know, I'm happy to help you if I can. But it, when you click on careers, if you want something specific, if you want a list of careers, it boots you over to, I think, the DHR site. It's careers.sf.gov. <clears throat> and there's only about 24 or 25 positions listed there. I know there's more, there are more positions. And, I mean, just looking at your statistics <coughs> today, um, and I also know the work is really interesting, and that just didn't come across to me when I was tr trying to explore the website. And I don't know if I'm missing something, maybe I'm not clicking on the right thing, but um, there's great general information about how great the PUC is, what our, you know, diversity goals are, and, but there, for someone who's really looking what opportunities might work for me, it, it doesn't seem like we've quite perfected that yet on our, on our website. And B 
being kicked over to DHR is not always that accessible to somebody who doesn't know how city government works or they see civil service. So I'm wondering if you're also um, working with uh, communications people or website developers to try to make that at least more accessible or, or jump out to somebody who might be really interested but doesn't really know that much about how government works. And maybe your liaisons in the individual groups may be good to talk to about how to do that or I, I don't know enough about what other outreach you might be doing or if there are other ways to access the opportunities at the PUC. May I respond? Um, through the chair, yeah, you, you've obviously hit on a, a pain point, which is what I was alluding to in the, the, the dry bureaucratic um, job ads. And at first must, I might say, you know, commissioners, we are all recruiters and you are our best recruiters. It's that personal touch that really gets people interested and excited about the PUC. So commend you uh, all for all that you do there. Um, um, and um, this is something that, um, you know, we're bringing on a new uh, recruiter. Um, and again, in collaboration with communications, trying to work on, again, making our content more engaging to draw candidates in. Um, we are also working on an initiative to improve our onboarding process, again, with a more seamless, candidate-focused, uh, pleasing interface. Um, but those are, those are areas of improvement that you've correctly identified that we need to work on. <coughs> Thank you. It, it just, it seems like a, <clears throat> there's a, some opportunities out there and I think people really do look first at the website and see what information they can glean on the website and it would be great if it were a little more um, accessible and um, I guess a, a better sales pitch by the PUC rather than DHR. <laughs> Commissioner Maxwell. Time, you mentioned that you were going to, that you're looking into that. What's the timeline that you have? So we've discussed it with communications. They have some ideas for um, blasting out our ads on some different uh, social media networks. Uh, Melissa, what's the timeline for getting the recruiter? So we're getting close because we're in, in interviews right now. So we'll have someone on board who will have that expertise. Um, so hopefully you'll see something. I'm uh, making a note to myself to, to kind of come up with some fancy, you know, maybe a little card with a QR code where we can direct people to the right direction. Some of the other agencies are using that. Um, so that, uh, and blast that on your social media. It's something that, you know, we can have you carry around. But again, um, we'll work with our partners in communications and external affairs to come up with something catchy. So our next, um, I guess we, this is quarterly. So our next, uh, at our next quarterly meeting with you, I guess then we should have some idea of where you are. Yeah, okay. We'll good. be happy to provide an update on that at that time. Good, thank you. Oh, and a clearer picture of your mapping strategy, mapping yes, strategy. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. <laughs> Commissioner Stacy. I'm sorry, I just wanted to emphasize one thing that um, uh, President, you mentioned before, I think rather than relying on written surveys, uh, a personal interview would really go far in getting feedback from people um, and looking for ways to improve. It's great that you're doing ongoing surveys as well, but I, I really think that 
you will get more from people and you will get better focus if you can really put the time into a, a, a personal interview rather than just a written survey. But I, I know you have your hands full. <laughs> yeah. uh, Human touch. Please right. go ahead. And, I, and I, I think that you can start with your own um, agency. I mean, your own department, since you are one of the people needing, having the most vacancies. So that would be an interesting place to start. Thank you. I just want to also say, I, uh, not to drag this on, uh, I'm always also posting and reposting uh, PUC jobs, uh, and I always try to write something very intriguing that makes people to come, want to work here. Because I absolutely, I mean, I think we all believe in, the, in this organization. That's why we're all donating our time and volunteering um, to be here and providing a service to our city. So uh, we just need to do itsy bitsy better in um, reaching the right candidates and, um, and making sure we can bring a lot of good talent um, to the table, which is great. Thank you. Oh, um, Commissioner Paulson, please. Yeah, I just had a technical question, um, and I'm saying this as an employee of the city and county of San Francisco, of which this particular unit probably has the highest level of turnover of anything in the SFPUC. Are, am I an employee of the SFPUC and an employee of the uh, of the city and county of San Francisco? Are we part of the of the of, of the uh, staff of the, PUC technically in the in the uh, big grid. So in the um, in the the slide that had the concentric circles, um, if you if you see that there was there was a very light big circle which showed um, the it's the one that has the uh, the ins and outs the 191. There's actually a big circle oh, that has on, commissioners. On that, it's on that so there, there uh, there's actually a very very light big circle that includes commissioners. I saw that on yeah. there. I don't know <laughs> so, if it so. was in, in soft focus because of the non-clarity of it. Okay, that, yes. cl that clears that. Okay, thank you. And, and hopefully you're, we're not in the general manager category because that was a low number. If you include us, um, we're, we're, I think we're at 90% or something like that. I think after three years, I'm the, I, I think I have the most seniority <laughs> of, of this group. But anyway, that being said. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Look forward to the next um, update. I'm sure we'll, we'll see even more progress. Uh, can we have public comment, please? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item 4D, please press star 3 to raise your hand to speak. Do any members of the public present to provide comment on this item? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are two callers in the queue. Thank you, callers. This is on item 4D. Hello, caller. I've opened your line. You have two minutes. So, Commissioners, I've been listening to you all very carefully. I want to ask you all one question. Do you all ever care that, say, suppose we look at a treatment plan? and we look at a treatment plant in the Bayview-Hunters Point, do, do you all have uh, any statistics? How many of the people that live in zip code 14134 24 and uh, 07, 
Do you, all, do you all care to know how many of these people who suffer so much from the pollution are given opportunities for career jobs? Y'all are rambling about uh, an HR person. I don't know from which planet she's arrived. I've never seen her before. This is the second time I've seen her. Rambling about uh, HR, when one of y'all has stated that of the 2,000 employees that SFPUC has, over 40% left y'all. So what are you doing in San Francisco? We all know even when y'all do something for the interns, 85% of the interns are not from San Francisco. But y'all are not aware of that. I spend a lot of money. The interns have maybe one class a month. They get their stipends, all sorts of Mickey Mouse. Thank you, caller, for your comments. Unfortunately, your time has expired. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Thank you. Peter Druckmeyer, Tuolumne River Trust. Imagine you're an SFPUC employee and you go to a cocktail party. You meet someone new and they ask you what you do. You say you work for the SFPUC. They then ask, why is the SFPUC allowing the Tuolumne River and Bay Delta ecosystem to collapse? Or why isn't the SFPUC recycling more water to reduce nutrient pollution into the bay and develop an alternative water supply? Or why did the SFPUC agree to follow the lead of irrigation districts on matters related to fish flows and give up its ability to represent my environmental values? Or why does the SFPUC withhold public information and force people to file complaints with the Sunshine Ordinance Task Force to get basic public documents? Or why did the SFPUC host seven workshops to get a better understanding of issues related to the environment, water demand, and climate change but not use the information to make changes to archaic policies that needlessly harm the environment. It doesn't seem like a very fun party, does it? Wouldn't it be nice for staff to have environmental accomplishments they could brag about? Despite my criticisms, I'd like to compliment staff on a very good presentation. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. I just... Adam, sec Do we have any additional callers? No additional callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item 4D is closed. I just want to make a quick comment. I appreciated uh, Mr. Drake Meyer's comment. I just want to say SFUC does a lot of great things. I do go to cocktail parties. People do ask questions, but a lot of them are related to many other things that, which are not what you listed. Everybody is trying to do their best. We can Obviously, we can do better. There's no, no, no organization, no individual is uh, perfect. Um, but I think people who work here, they provide a service, and I do want to acknowledge the time and energy people spend to provide services to the people of San Francisco, and I want to make sure they are uh, appreciated and acknowledged. Um, with that... That concludes my report. 
Excellent. Can we have the next item, please? Next item is item five, the Bay Area Water Supply and Conservation Agency update. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Nicole Senko-Labaska, CEO. Um, last November, you, along with your partners on the Tuolumne River, the Modesto, and Turlock Irrigation Districts, actually signed on to the MOU for development of a larger voluntary agreement for the Sacramento-San Joaquin Bay Delta uh, State Water Resources Control Board Bay Delta Plan. And that MOU includes a commitment by the Tuolumne River parties for new additional flows in the river to protect native fish species on top of the current requirements. And the MOU also commits you to spending $64 million in habitat improvements projects over the eight-year term of the MOU to provide improved and increased habitats for native fish species. Bosca urges the Commission and the Tuolumne River parties to move forward now with early implementation of the MOU commitments for additional flows on the Tuolumne River and implementation of the identified habitat improvements. I'm not gonna speak to the rest of my statement. I think it's pretty consistent with what you've heard with me before, but I wanna reiterate that um, support for early implementation. I, you know, We always find ourselves in these negotiation positions um, and we have to do important things but you've made these commitments. I think um, it's a time to, to do what you can to implement them sooner rather than later. And you have the support of the Bosca board um, and the Bosca agency uh, behind that. So I appreciate this opportunity to speak to you. A copy of my full statement is in your communications package, um, but I wanna respect your time today and, and I appreciate this. I'll certainly answer any questions that you might have. Thank you, Ms. Sankula. Any comments, questions from Ms. Sankula? I just wanna say, um, you and I had a conversation uh, about a month ago. Time flies, I can't remember when it was. And we did have a conversation about this. I think we are definitely committed to uh, be a leader to set up uh, stronger environmental goals and uh, make sure we can protect the environment as while we are supporting, you know, providing water security for the region. Uh, we did have a few ideas that we discussed, which I would like for us to continue on on those conversations, maybe sooner rather than later, to make sure we can uh, provide a, you know, a, a better and brighter path forward as we are dealing with the um, you know, different issues related to Tuolumne to, to River. So thank you. Thank you very much. I look forward to those discussions. Can we have public comment on this item, please? Member, members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number five, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present to provide comment on item five? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are two callers in the queue. Hello, caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Thank you. Once again, Peter Dreckmar, Tuolumne River Trust. Um, I want to thank Ms. Sankula for her comments and also for, to President Njami for her response. I did want to draw your attention to something in the new VA that potentially could be embarrassing. Um, as Ms. Sankula mentioned, there's $64 million for habitat restoration projects. $12 million of that is for an infiltration gallery. Now, the way it actually 13 million for an infiltration gallery. The way that works is water would flow down out of LaGrange Dam for about 25 miles and it'd be picked up there 
and pipes underneath the gravel treated and used um, in series and turlock for urban consumption. Um, it's a pretty good project that was conceived about 25 years ago. And the pipes were put in about 20 years ago. And the project is going to be completed this summer and delivering water. <laughs> the project's going to be done before a VA is even considered. So trying to take credit for that, and I'm not accusing the SFPUC, but this is in the Tuolumne River Volunteer Agreement, um, it's going to be pretty embarrassing. So I would encourage staff to um, make sure that gets removed. And uh, the um, you know, early implementation of unimpaired flows, this year would have been a great year to do that because they're happening anyway, and you could get credit for it. Um, but you got to plan ahead. So maybe for next year, you can have a policy that you'll voluntarily contribute your share of the 40% unimpaired flow for at least two years. If you have a third dry year, you can reconsider that. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. When it comes to Batswa, the Bay Area Water Supply and Conservation Agency, I want you all to refer to the RECA Act. And uh, today, I read your agenda, and uh, you all are busy distributing millions of gallons of water to to areas besides San Francisco and those partners who are part of the RECA Act. And then, you know, you'll have side, side uh, talks with uh, Baswa, making some promises while uh, directly and indirectly chastising the citizens of San Francisco uh, as if, you know, we don't conserve water. So this year we had a lot of rain, and y'all got all confused. Y'all got confounded and perplexed because Mother Nature helped the advocates. As Peter said, the salmon got a lot of water this year, not because of you commissioners or your policy or your thinking outside the box, but because of your pride. Like, you know, how y'all switch uh, public comment from the beginning to the end and all these gimmicks. So we'll be monitoring y'all. So far, y'all will be monitoring y'all, you know. But Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment uh, item five is closed. Thank you so much. Uh, could you please call the next item, please? Next item is item six, your consent calendar. Colleagues, any comments, questions on the consent calendar? No. I actually had some comments. Sorry, let me open up my 
notes, if you don't mind. Um, looking at item 6C and 6D, um, especially item 6C, and maybe I missed it, but who are we giving this contract to? Is there a company name in this? Oh, in my agenda it says six, I think. It's six, right? Six D. Six C and D. But I I, I want six C. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Uh, Bessie Tam, Senior Project Manager. Uh, the contractor is Pipe and Plant. Pipe and Plant, okay. Yes. It, it's good to have those details because I was just trying to see if there's any overlap between 6D and 6D because 6D is all about replacing uh, the sewer um, pipes, uh, um, uh, replacement, and then the C was about focusing on, you know, doing the monitoring. So it's kind of, I, I wasn't sure if there's overlap. So please make sure that's noted in the documents that's getting provided. Um, and then, sorry, going back to 6A, um, there was an ask to increase the contract by a two and a half million dollars. Um, and I was not 100% sure, I couldn't really figure out what is happening here that we need to increase the contract by that amount. It wasn't very clear in the documents that were provided. Uh, hi, Judy Chin with Infrastructure. infrastructure. Uh, so this calendar item is to increase the contract amount from five million to seven point five million. Yes, it is effectively as needed. So this is this is basically every time you go back and is that what it didn't come across as such, right? It, oh. It's sort of read as if we are increasing it, but it didn't say, okay, we have already maxed out to our five million and then we are increasing it for another term for by this much. Is that what, what I hear here? So we are nearing the uh, $5 million capacity and mm -hmm. we are increasing it by another 2.5 million. So. Thank you, Frank. <laughs> Afternoon, everyone. Uh, Stephen Robinson, Assistant General Manager for Infrastructure. Yes, as an as-needed type approach, once we're reaching that or nearing that contract capacity, the work's been progressing, it's going well. The agenda item lists the type of works that we do under this. So there's not a specific change or reason to kind of increase the capacity other than to continue to do more and that it's going well. So that's something we could probably make clear in the next items when we see them like this. Yes, it would be great helpful. because I have seen these such contracts before and they're always very clear that we've already done this, now we are extending this contract to continue with this contractor, but this wasn't very clear, okay. you know, again, would be great to kind of make sure it's clear. Um, Mr. Robinson, so while I have you here on the, on us, item 6D, um, and I don't know if I should ask you this question or um, uh, or Ms. Um, Kello can make that comment, but uh, the 
it seemed to me that there was a specific grant, that we are trying to provide this, put this money aside for this spot replacement. I wasn't 100% sure what happens if, for example, we replace half of those pipes that we anticipated. Do the money get allocated regardless, or is there like a process into by, to, by which we sort of spend as much as we need and then repurpose the rest? Just confirm this is item 6D, is that right, for the sports room? Yes, yeah. 6D. Um, and I'll, I'll ask Eileen to come and speak as well. But yes, if, if we are looking condition assessment-wise and doing inspection work, then we're always prioritizing. And if we don't get to do what we need to do at a certain time, then we can reevaluate and use that money on the back capacity in a different way. Okay, so, so this is basically we are getting a credit to do this kind of work, but if we don't spend all our credit, it will get rolled over. You continue okay. to use it the next highest priority, if that's what you'd like to add. Uh, uh, Aileen Kalau. Um Yes, that is correct. Okay. Sure. Thank you. Commissioner Paulson. I just want to um, emphasize, emphasize what, uh, super, um, what um, Commissioner Ajami had mentioned about any of the contracts that are continued or that are referred to um, on as a continuation or an add-on or whatever else, um, very much instead of bringing it up, if you could be extra diligent when you're writing up the agenda to make sure you n name the contractor, because that has happened here and there, and, and I understand how it happens. You're, we're adding this to that, and here's the number, and you're getting it all right. You ha if you put down the name, that's a good check, you know, whatever it is in this, in, in this case, there's a florist. Um, you know, if it's in there, then we can cross-reference without having to look back at what was number this and that. It, it really is important. And when it doesn't happen, which is very rare, then it just it just expedites things. Thanks. Noted. Thank you. Yes, it, it is rare. So we'll, we'll be correcting that. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Commissioner Paulson. Any other comments, colleagues? No? Okay, so can we have public comment on this? Thank you, Mr. Robinson. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item six, the consent calendar, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present to speak on the uh, consent calendar? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item six is closed. Excellent. Um, colleagues, if there are no more comments or questions, can I have a motion? on this item, and Move. a second. Second. Move to approve the consent calendar. And second. Thank you, can I have a roll call, please? President Ajami? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. And you have five ayes. Thank you. Items in the consent calendar pass. Um, Madam Secretary, could you please uh, call the next item? So item number seven, approve modifications to the SFPUC's floodwater management grant assistance program grant requirements and terms to increase the SFPUC cost share to 100%, incorporate administrative cleanup edits, and authorize the general manager of the SFPUC or the general manager's designee to execute grant agreements under the modified grant program. 
Good afternoon, Commissioners. Sarah Minnick from the Wastewater Enterprise. Um, I'm here today to address item seven, our floodwater management grant assistance program. And we do have a modification that we're proposing. Um, this program has been active since 2013, and it currently offers up to $100,000 to eligible properties to increase their flood resilience, and this is at the parcel scale, so individual applicants. Um, our proposal today is a simple one. We would like to eliminate the cost share percentages that are currently required of our grantees and instead have the grant program cover 100% of the eligible costs for eligible properties. And our goal in making this change is really to increase participation. In this grant program, we have had low participation over the life of the grant program, and we'd like to help more San Franciscans implement flood resilience measures so that we can gradually increase flood resilience at the parcel scale. Um, despite our outreach efforts to date, which have included door-to-door -door conversations, webinars, neighborhood open houses, uh, web blasts, and more, we have only distributed approximately $59,000 per year for this grant program. And we all saw, of course, this winter, the impacts of the atmospheric rivers um, on San Francisco, which really further underscored that making our existing building stock more flood resilient can be a helpful piece of our overall strategy. And since January 1st, our staff have received 88 interest forms in this grant program, which is the largest spike in interest that we have seen to date over the life of the program. And so we're very hopeful that with this increased public awareness of extreme precipitation events, um, plus continued outreach, plus this increased incentive that we are proposing, um, we could better leverage this grant program to assist more ratepayers to become more flood resilient. So that's our proposal, and I'm happy to take any questions that you might have on it. Excellent, thank you. Colleagues, any comments, questions? Oh, Commissioner Maxwell, please. Thank you. Um, how did you arrive at um, figuring out that maybe it was you needed to do more as far as your grants? I, I, what was that process? Yeah, so currently the match um, is from 80 to 100% depending on the property type. So currently our grant program will provide 90% for a homeowner and they'll provide 10% for properties um, that are non-residential or rental rent, rentals, it's 80%. And what we're kind of seeing is that um, even though that does seem like a generous percentage, if you imagine yourself a San Francisco homeowner and think about your to-do list, you know, maybe you've been saving up to repair your roof and maybe you've been saving up to buy new window coverings or I don't know, whatever your long list is. What we were seeing is that even though people were excited about the floodwater grant program, um, let's say that their costs were going to be $25,000 to implement the recommended flood resilient measures, that would still mean that they would need to contribute um, 
$2,500, which is not insignificant. And we saw that that was a barrier to entry. Um, we did come to you all last year, I believe, the time flies, um, to implement a hardship option. So for those folks who show hardship, we already are covering 100%. But for those folks who can't show hardship, we do still want to acknowledge that they have many expenses that they need to cover. And so if we truly want folks to implement this, we understand that, or we, we see from the analysis that the incentive needs to be more compelling. Um, so that was, that was what we came to. We looked at a number of other things as well. Could we um, increase technical assistance? We did that. We, we really increased um, our staff on the ground, explaining to folks what their options were, how they could implement it. We worked with colleagues in the city's attorney's office and elsewhere to look at how we could make our process better. But we, even with those efforts, we saw that we still weren't getting as much participation. So we kind of went through stepwise and looked at different barriers, and this one seems like the most substantive way that we could increase participation. And can you give me an example of a residential um, project? Absolutely, yes. So um, each applicant is very site-specific, um, and so we have lots of different measures, but an example could be Perhaps uh, somebody has a downsloping driveway and maybe no backflow prevention um, and maybe an unsealed garage or entrance or egress. And so with that individual, we might work to recommend to them backflow prevention, a small barrier in front of their driveway that would prevent water from going in, but they could still drive over it, mm -hmm. different sealants, flood walls, um, rain gardens, so we have kind of a toolkit um, that we make available to folks, and then depending on their property, mm -hmm. uh, we help our technical assistance staff helps them look. Ultimately, it's their decision, of course, mm -hmm. about what they'd like to select, and then it's their job to um, engage with a set of bids and figure out how they want to implement it. But we do offer that technical assistance on the toolkit. Great, thank you. This is great, thank you so much. It's always good to do more to reach uh, broader uh, members of the public, especially considering all these extreme events we are experiencing. Um, just a quick thought there, um, and maybe you mentioned that I missed it, but um, is there a way to kind of also do outreach when one person, you know, like we did this study a number of years ago and we saw people replace their lawns, for example, as a conservation measure, and then all the neighbors all of a sudden showed up, and you're like, who did you hire? What is it you're doing? And then this, everybody wants to do it now because it's easier. So I'm wondering if you are sort of looking at how those kind of uh, neighborhood norms are helping in this process, or is there a way we can do more in out doing outreach in specific neighborhoods when we had one customer that's that has done this and we might be able to help, especially in San Francisco, all of a sudden one street, every house is sort of designed the same way and have the same kind of a problem. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Um, we're just now seeing some different projects emerging that sort of have that visual appeal that makes the neighbors say, oh, I want one of those too. So right. 
Um, we're seeing in particular in the Wawona area some excellent examples where we can then you know, take those photographs and share them across all of our webinars, walking tours to let other neighbors sort of walk by and see like, oh, I see how this could be implemented. Um, we're also updating our guidebook that is the companion to this grant program. And every time we see something like that, we, we implement those photos and suggestions to try to um, you know, get folks to see what it could look like so that, to help them imagine. Um, but there's definitely more we could do with that with social media blasts and neighborhood-specific walking tours. So we're, we're trying to come up with a more robust, on-the-ground um, outreach in advance of our next rainy season. Fantastic. Thank you. Oh, yeah, go ahead, please. Um, so do you have any data on who's taking advantage of this, the neighborhoods and where and whom? Yes, yes, we have all of that um, on a GIS map so that we can track spatially how the grant program is impacting the city. And as you might expect, we see the highest concentration of uptake um, in our low-lying um, flood-prone areas. So we see grant applicants in the Wawona, Folsom, and Cayuga areas. Um, but we do also see them in little pockets even outside of those areas. So we see, we see those dots citywide, but they are very much concentrated in the, in the low-lying areas. So that means you are getting to those people who really need it then, in the low-lying areas. We are, but it's, um, there's still more to do. When you look at the spatial distribution, there are you know, pockets that are, that are missing. And we did see um, during some outreach that especially along the Alamini Corridor. Mm -hmm. We found some language barriers. Mm -hmm. We also found that a lot of folks are engaged in um, shift work, so they may not be able to come to a webinar that we schedule at a particular time. So we're taking those learnings and trying to be more thoughtful about how we reach out to particular communities who may need specific times or languages um, for their outreach. And do you have a way of knowing which communities those might be? Um, you know, which are low-lying areas that have those problems but are not taking advantage of it? Well, I mean, I'm open to your all suggestions, but the way that we do it now is really just looking at those spatial gaps. So where we see that there is a potential for flooding, but we see that folks are not taking us up on it, that's kind of our gap analysis. And so then we go and we say, we need to do more over here. We need to do more over here. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. That's excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, if there are no more questions, can we have public comment on this, please? Thank you. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number seven, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present to provide comment? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers wishing to be recognized at this time. Thank you. Public comment on item seven is closed. Excellent. Can we, um, can I have a motion and a second if there are no more comments? Move to approve. Second. Excellent. Can we have a roll call, please? President Jami? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. We have five ayes. Thank you. Item passes. Um, Madam Secretary, could you please read the next item? Item 8, approve the minimum water purchase transfer agreement dated May 24, 2022 between the City of East Palo Alto and the City of Mountain View 
to allow a retroactive permanent transfer up of up to 1 million gallons per day MGD of Mountain View's minimum annual purchase to, to quant purchase quantity to East Palo Alto following the 2017 permanent transfer of 1.0 MGD of Mountain View's individual supply guarantee to East Palo Alto under the terms of the 2021 amended and restated water supply agreement between the city and county of San Francisco and wholesale customers in Alameda County, San Mateo County, and Santa Clara County, and authorize a general manager to amend the water supply agreement to reflect the effects of that minimum annual purchase quantity transfer. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, uh, President Ajami, fellow commissioners. Uh, I am Allison Kastama, I'm the Bosca and Regional Liaison for the Water Enterprise for uh, the SFPUC. May I have the slides, please? Today's item is a minimum purchase agreement between the cities of East Palo Alto and Mountain View. Um, moving my slides forward. To give you a little bit of background, I'll be going through a number of items related to this um, item for history, et cetera. So uh, this minimum purchase uh, transfer agreement basically enables the SFPUC strives to make use of existing water supplies um, and make them the most efficient. We also maintain guaranteed revenue streams from our minimum purchase customers. Those are customers who have the ability to purchase from other sources. Um, this minimum uh, purchase transfer agreement basically supports that goal, and it has no impact on our 184 uh, MGD supply assurance to the wholesale customers. To give you a couple of those terms, just so we're all uh, clear, the supply assurance is from our 1984 settlement agreement and master water sales contract. It is a perpetual supply guarantee of 184 million gallons a day to the wholesale customers. Uh, with that supply guarantee, uh, basically our individual wholesale customers, 23 of them, negotiated amongst them to divide that and provide themselves individual supply guarantees. Those ISGs are very important for their planning purposes, for urban water management plans, for uh, planning for housing and other items that are coming before their planning commissions, uh, planning bodies. The four customers that currently have a minimum purchase um, uh, requirement are Alameda County Water District, Mountain View, Milpitas, and Sunnyvale. And again, those have uh, the ability to purchase from a different source. And this minimum purchase basically ensures that we get the revenue needed to support the system. Um, and they are not able to then source shift based on price. So we get a guaranteed stream. This chart here is just an example of those 26 wholesale customers and their various, where they are currently uh, with their consumption, where their ISG, the green item is uh, the city of Hayward, you should note, does not have an individual supply guarantee. Their contract is different. Uh, what is shown here is their, if it's very small at the bar, bottom, bottom here, is uh, their, uh, the subtraction of the 23 customers and their ISGs. Uh, city of San Jose and City of Santa Clara not being permanent customers do not have an individual supply guarantee. And you'll see the red bars there indicate the minimum purchase uh, requirement. Uh, of which most three of our uh, of those customers are meeting that uh, city of Mountain View has historically had a gap uh, and been required to pay for that water they did not purchase. Mm -hmm. 
So this transfer is from uh, the original 2017 Mountain View transfer to East Palo Alto. They transferred um, 1 million gallons of Mountain View's individual supply guarantee to East Palo Alto. This was because East Palo Alto had already reached the top of their ISG and they were in need. They were uh, facing a moratorium on development. Um, Again, as I mentioned, Mountain View had been paying between two to three million, 2.5 to three million annually because they were not, in, their regular demands were not reaching that uh, minimum purchase requirement and they were required by the contract to pay uh, the system that additional cost of the minimum, to reach the minimum. So for the transfer, East Palo Alto agreed to pay Mountain View $5 million. This was to cover that um, minimum purchase requirement cost. Uh, this transfer is the one that actually highlighted the need in the contract to be able to transfer that minimum purchase requirement when you purchase individual supply guarantee. So in January of 21, this commission did approve uh, adjustments to the water supply agreement uh, that brought us to the 2021 amended and restated water supply agreement, which enabled the transfer of both the minimum purchase amount uh, requirement with the individual supply guarantee transfers. So those match, uh, match those two together. And this agreement today is allowing a retroactive uh, permanent transfer of up to 1 million gallons per day of Mountain View's minimum purchase requirement to East Palo Alto under the terms of that 2021 um, updated uh, water supply agreement. The agreement today has been approved by the East Palo Alto City Council and Mountain View and all of the wholesale customers in the ensuing uh, two-year period. Uh, they were considering the 2021 amendment to the contract and this item at the same time. It was not available to us when we took it under consideration in January of 21. And again, uh, Mountain View will initially transfer 0.25 MGG of their existing minimum annual purchase quantity to East Palo Alto, and they have the opportunity under this agreement to do three additional transfers of up to a quarter MGD. Today's item will also, uh, uh, if approved, authorize the general manager to execute the amendments to the water supply agreement, the attachments, and the individual water sales agreements or contracts with Mountain View and East Palo Alto that are required as part of this uh, process. And I'm happy to answer any questions. Okay, thank you so much. Um, colleagues, any comments, questions? Um, I just wanna say um, thanks for doing this. I know um, East Palo Alto has always been trying to have more permanent uh, access to water and um, and they are a community that we would want to make sure uh, to support. Um, and there is a lot of extra um, water in the system. So we are not really increasing uh, the amount of water we're providing. We're just basically repurposing it. One quick question though, I have is, and you can answer uh, Mrs. Ms. Sankola or um, Steve, is um, I see these projections to be, again, like we anticipate people to buy more. And I would love to be, um, uh, you know, I think it's a little bit optimistic to think that way. And I'm trying to think um, those lines that, was, that were in that graph that said anticipated purchases by 2040, um, like how are they calculated? Are they brand new after what we have seen right now with the drops in water use? And I know this is not directly related to this issue, but I would say for those four communities 
that have minimum purchase agreements, um, you know, this might become an issue again, right? They might have more extra water that they, um, they need to rethink about. And uh, we are having all this conversation about alternative water supplies and what we need to build to meet future demand. And here it is, you know, this extra water. So um, I'm just trying to think strategically, how are we thinking about the collective of Bosca, um, uh, you know, uh, retailers that are purchasing this water, where we are in potentially having minimum purchase agreement for everybody. If not, for the ones that we have, where do we see them going in the years to come? So a complex, um, I know I went up and down and around, but I think you, you sort of see where I'm getting at. Yeah. Do you want to, Nicole? Sure. Yeah, I think that. Nicole Senku, Labaska CEO. Um, I hadn't seen that graph, so I don't know if those are the updated numbers. But as you know, we went through an update of our demand projections, and it also included a sensitivity analysis of changing conditions and what that would mean on demand. Uh, your question is a very important one without an answer right now, unfortunately. Sure. But that doesn't mean there's not a process to work through that, and I think that's the focus on it, is to continue to track how demand changes as we hopefully exit this drought how the conditions in the service area change, and do we see those associated demand projections show up or, or not? And as we've been looking at it, and as I've been thinking about your alternative water supply plan, you know, we have some time before we have to make a significant commitment mm. to an investment. And so between now and then, this is the exact question we need to look at. Where are the, if you will, um, no regrets investments yes. because it's a drought supply, which is different than maybe an investment that maybe we wouldn't need if demand doesn't show up. Um, and, and I've had active discussions with Mr. Ritchie about this internally. We've had a lot of discussions about it as well. I would say though, um, you know, the dynamics that you're seeing in San Francisco are different than the dynamics in the service area. You know, we are not seeing, you know, we have seen, you know, um, well, business is down. We're not seeing the significant impact of like this post-COVID world that you are in the city. And we are seeing a, an extreme pressure for development housing. And, and so that is also at play right now, unfortunately. And all the communities are having to deal with this. So I don't know that it's um, appropriate to just say, hey, we're gonna stay at this very low level. We've been in you know, a 10-year drought, I would say. You know, the question is, what's going to happen as we come out of this drought? How do we track it, and how do we make those best investments? One last thing is that this amendment that was passed, and this is the last piece with these minimum purchase transfers, is really one of these critical things to enable those four agencies that have minimums to right. move off of them right. and move them. Um, and that is really exciting to me. So my hope is that that will happen. So does that mean they're not going to have a minimum purchase agreement anymore? They will, right? Well, it means that they can, maybe somebody will want to buy it from them. Right. Right. So, so they would continue to have one. To exchange that. Right. That, the way the amendment works is that minimum purchase amount does not change. Right. So it will just get moved from only four agencies to possibly five or whatever. Right. Um, but I think that's, that has been the hope with this amendment is that that will now create or remove a barrier that has existed for having those transfers occur. Okay. Okay, so because of what you're doing right now, 
this would give us that opportunity for future actions. I mean, this yeah, is very this specific. This is the final to this. piece. What yes. you did in 2021 was really you kicked it off. You were the first to act. The agencies have all now acted. This is rather more, I would call this the cleanup, dealing with this yeah, particular East sure. Palo Alto Mountain View item. But um, all together, it is exactly that. Right. Um, thank you, Ms. Sankola. I think that demand mystery is, um, is such an important piece of all this thing. I think just looking at the data in the last 10 years, for sure, we can see that um, we have not seen tons of rebounds. So we don't know where we go. but. Development is an important part of this. I think we have had this conversation on potentially how we can make sure that development happens in a sustainable way. What are the different tools that can be put in that toolbox to um, uh, to sort of manage demand? Um, you know, different kind of reuse, different kind of uh, capacity building there. So, um, but you know, I appreciate you guys are closely looking at this because it's such an important issue. Yeah, absolutely. And I wouldn't have expected much of a rebound in the last 10 years, right? We've had eight out of the 10 years have been in a drought, and we've had COVID and all those things. It's really a question of what does this next couple of years show? Yeah, perfect. Thank you. Ms. Stacy. Uh, thank you. <clears throat> I just wanted to make a, a couple of points. I think that this kind of a transfer is a, is a great idea. These minimum purchase requirements can sometimes put in place the wrong incentives if they're paying for water that they're not using. Um, I don't think we're ever going to have extended periods of time where we're not dealing with drought and uncertain supplies. So in my mind, as a policy matter, recycling, conservation, um, reusing water as much as we can is really important. And so to the extent that we develop that in San Francisco, to the extent that the Bosca customers are developing that, I think we do want to provide um, more flexibility so that they're not, there's not a counter incentive to conserving and recycling. So this kind of transfer makes a lot of sense to me and to um, allow that flexibility for the, for the customer for the Bosco, the um, wholesale customers, to be able to do that makes sense. Because I think we're, we're really facing continued uncertainty. And I, I know we've had lots of water this year, but I just think drought is going to be part of our lives forever. So I, I just wanted to sort of endorse the policy idea. I'm not, I think the minimum annual purchase requirements are sometimes counterproductive so I to to recycling and conservation so I think this is a a, a good approach so thank you for continuing yeah. to be creative about it yes thank you excellent thank you so much if there are no more comments or questions we can move to uh, public comment please members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number eight Please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on item eight? Ms. Sankula? Hello, Commissioners. Nicole Sankula, Bosca CEO. Um, I actually want to express my significant support for the action before you. Um, we have actually negotiated this since 2017. That is the time it took to do this. Um, when we started this process, I have to say I had agencies that said there's no way 
there's no way we're going to be able to do this. Um, and I think this really speaks to the resourcefulness of the Bosca agencies and their desire to find a fix um, that seemed appropriate and in a way also, but also protected, right, their own constituents, which is their obligation as public agencies. So um, this is a, a great action and I appreciate your support for it. So thank you very much. Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers in the queue? Madam Secretary, there are two callers in the queue. Hello, caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. So I'll go back to the year 1913 when the Reta Act was passed. And since that time, the Pios, the Pomos, the Mayhawks, the other tribes have been adversely impacted. What has the SFPUC done for them? And now you have taken uh, the water that belongs to those tribes and you're making millions of dollars and nowhere in your agreement you have mitigation measures because the tribes have been adversely impacted. Not only adversely impacted, but the salmon that is part of that culture, part of their rituals, has been taken away. And here y'all are willing and dealing, nonchalant, or, you know, disagreement and that agreement. You know, there's a segment of the population that's wicked. Wicked. And these fires that we have are just a sign for us to meditate, meditate, and think about our evil deeds. And that's all I'll say. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Thank you, Peter Drekwar, Tuolumne River Trust. Um, I've been a supporter of the Mountain View East Palo Alto transfer. And in fact, around that same time, I brought together some elected officials from Palo Alto and East Palo Alto, and we facilitated that half an MGD transfer to East Palo Alto for free. So it's an issue that I care a lot about. What I encourage you to think about is unintended consequences. The likely buyer of these ISGs is Brisbane for the Brisbane Baylands project which is a lot of commercial development and very little housing, which can put more pressure on the area to build more housing. Something I brought up before is when there's a water supply assessment for a predominantly commercial project, you have to take in consideration the housing that's gonna be needed to house those employees and work that in. And I got a little traction with the SFPUC when I brought that up at first, but nothing came of it. So I think a much better approach is to allow cities to give back their take or pay water so they're no longer obligated to purchase water that they might not need. And you can subtract that from the 184 MGD supply assurance to Bosca, and that's one MGD. You don't, might not have to build with alternative water supplies. That makes much more sense than having them sell it to someone who's gonna 
facilitate a project that's going to exacerbate the job housing imbalance. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item 8 is closed. Excellent. Um, if there are no more comments, can I have a motion and a second, please? Move to approve. Second. Thank you. Madam Secretary, could you please uh, call the roll? President Jami? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have five ayes. Excellent. Item passes. Um, Madam Secretary, could you please read the next item? Your next item is item number 10, general public comment. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on matters that are within the commission's jurisdiction and are not on today's agenda, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present to provide general public comment? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are two callers in the queue. Thank you. That's true. I did see that. Hello, caller. Your line is open. You have two minutes. Thank you. Peter Dreckmeyer to all neighbor of trust. When you move general public comment to the end of your agenda in December, a couple of you commented, let's see if it works. Well, for the last four months of 2022, there was an average of 13 speakers at each meeting for general public comment. And right now there are two of us in the queue. So ask yourself, has moving it worked? Really depends on what your intentions were. You probably asked yourself, you know, why is Dreckmeyer so crabby? I realize it's probably not enjoyable to hear from me. And I assure you, you know, outside of these meetings, I'm a pretty lovable guy. I enjoy spending time with friends, making jokes, singing, playing sports, being outdoors. And I much prefer collaboration, but it hasn't worked with the SFPC. So we're forced to try to shame you into doing the right thing, and that hasn't worked either. But it hasn't burned any bridges because they didn't exist. I've been encouraging you to get real about demand projections for many years now. And so you can adjust the water supply needs before the alternative water supply plan is completed in July. But I don't even get responses to my communications, which are aimed at helping you avoid mistakes. For example, in 2021, we tried to get you to focus on demand projections. You didn't. The urban water management plan was approved at the beginning of July. Two, two weeks later, there was a water demand management workshop where a lot of good information was presented, but you'd already locked in a five-year urban water management plan. Was that just a coincidence that came two weeks later, or was that the intent of staff? So the SFPC ignores us. The state water board doesn't. For example, with the Bay Delta plan, we convinced them that SFPC... Sorry, caller, but your time has expired. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. You know what I want to say about y'all? I have no standards. And so when people don't have no standards and add it to that, they're not educated on issues, you can't communicate with them. 
you really cannot communicate with them. So, you know, at one time we had, we were given three minutes public comment. Then they brought some law for, you know, let's uh, set aside half an hour for public comment. Then they came up with other gimmicks. But y'all are the worst of all the city departments. Y'all are the worst. Okay? And I don't need to go into the empirical data. Y'all have your employees indicted by the Federal Bureau of Investigation and about 60 more on the list. And I don't have to say more. Public comment is important. It's sacrosanct. But you all want to play with us by depriving us of public comment? Shame on y'all. Shame on y'all. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you, item 10, general public comment is closed. Excellent, thank you. Um, just wanna, uh, is this on this item? Uh, okay. Um, just wanna make a comment that uh, we do very much like to receive public comments. So um, doesn't matter if the person is happy or sad or mad. Um, public comment is a process that we all believe in and we appreciate it and, um, and we have no hesitation to receiving it. So um, just wanted to clarify that. Please go ahead. And Peter, we love you very much. You are extremely important and, um, and it may not seem as if we haven't made any changes, but we do talk and think about the things that you say. So thank you. Don't give up. Excellent, thank you. Uh, Madam Secretary, I noticed that uh, we did not go over item number nine. Your communications item is for information only. Okay, so we don't need to call it. Okay, excellent. Kim, uh, yes, go ahead, please. Um, uh, oh, did, you, did she call item 11 yet? No, not yet. Okay. okay. Uh, Madam Secretary, could you please call the next item? Uh, your next item is item 11, items initiated by commissioners. Somebody mentioned the state of the environment earlier on, and I think I would like to have a state of the environment. We've been through droughts, we've been through rains. Um, it would be interesting to, to have some idea of where we are. Um, and when we think about the environment, I'm thinking about our rivers, our lakes, um, you know, not just how high the, the water is, but all the surrounding area, what's going on and how, how it's faring. Yep, sounds good. I believe you guys are working on it, if I recall, but you know. Uh, Commissioner Maxwell, just so we give you what you're interested in, you're talking about the, I wanna be precise in what you, we give you what you want. So it, it would, can you give me, give us a little bit of an idea about, in it, obviously in addition to our reservoirs, and from an environmental perspective, what things would well, you be interested in? Well, that's in? what I mentioned about our rivers, and but the surrounding area, you know, like we're talking about water coming down the Tuolumne. Right. So what's the surrounding area about? Oh, you know, um, the watershed. Yep. Sure, Thank okay, you. I got it. The watershed is in the waterfall. Yeah, okay. yeah, I got that's it. the good state, state of, um, state of the environment 
uh, with the in the yeah. dealing as the watersheds go. Thank you. So I think uh, just just to add to that, we had this conversation during the workshops or last year at some point, and I believe there was some discussion around creating some ecosystem indicators that can be used um, as part of um, uh, the uh, sort of general manager's report on um, drought conditions. And um, I was under the impression that there were some work being done to figure out what's the right ecosystem indicator to use and what's the best way to show okay, we'll, that. We'll get so something scheduled. Be great. It'll be a little, let's see, we'll, we'll get that presentation. We'll see if that satisfies your objective. And if not, there's something else you're interested in, we can work on that. Yeah. Thank you. That sounds good. Um, perfect. Uh, any other items? Okay. Uh, can we have, do we need to have a public comment on this? Thank you so much. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number 11, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on this item? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item 11 is closed. Thank you. Um, could you please call the next item? Next item is your public comment on items to be heard during closed session. The following items will be heard during your closed session. Item number 14, conference with legal counsel regarding the existing litigation Joseph Goldmark versus City and County of San Francisco filed November 29, 2022, proposed settlement of an unlitigated claim for property damage resulting from a ruptured water main with the city to pay Joseph Goldmark $35,000 in exchange for a full and final release subject to the approval by the Board of Supervisors. Number 15, conference with legal counsel regarding existing litigation, Michael Gwillem versus City and County of San Francisco filed October 14, 2022, Proposed settlement of an unlitigated claim for property damage resulting from a ruptured water main with the city to pay Michael Gwillem $38,350 in exchange for a full and final release subject to approval by the Board of Supervisors. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on items, uh, the closed session items number 14 and 15, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on this item? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers wishing to be recognized at this time. Thank you. Public comment on uh, closed session items is closed. Thank you. Um, colleagues, can I have a motion on whether to assert the attorney-client privilege regarding the matters that will be discussed during the closed session? Move to assert the attorney-client privilege. Second. Um, thank you. Madam Secretary, could you uh, please call the roll? President Jami? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. And Commissioner Stacy? Aye. And you have five ayes. Thank you. We are going to go into closed session.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
recommends the Board of Supervisors approve the settlement under closed session items 14 and 15. Um, colleagues, can I have a motion regarding whether to disclose the discussion during closed session? Move not to disclose. Thank you. Madam Secretary, um, do we need a roll call for that? Thank you. President Ajami? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have five ayes. Excellent. I think I don't think there is any more items in front of us with that. You want I to conclude your business. Perfect. We adjourn. Thank you. Thank you. Unmute. Okay. This was done. Excellent.